everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Anything But Typical podcast. And I can't wait for you to hear this story because I can't wait to hear the story. I know just a thimbleful, but here's what I know about Rob Maynard. I had just started at BGW a little over two years ago. My room was filled with balloons because people thought that would be kind of funny to welcome me to a room full of balloons in my office. And so I had them up on bookshelves. I had them everywhere. I was like, we can do something with this. Gene Kimmel comes by my office and he's so excited because he says, my favorite client is coming over to us at BGW. And it happened to be Rob Maynard with the famous toastery. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Let's celebrate. Let's do a balloon popping ceremony. So that's exactly what we did. On the count of three, we found balloons. We stomped on the balloons and an explosion went throughout BGW and poor Marianne outside my office. I thought she was going to have a heart attack and it started a tradition. So every time we'd bring in a new client, the team that was involved that would be taking care of this client, we would do a balloon popping ceremony. Now, COVID has put the kibosh on that. We're still doing some virtually, but it's just not the same. So Rob Maynard, uh, we are blaming you for how much fun and frivolity we have as celebrating clients that we enjoy when they come on. So here's the first question for you. Say that. I'll gladly accept that blame. <laughs> and it fits you. <laughs> That's what's even better. So here's the question. You and your family are up in the Poconos at your lake house up in Pennsylvania, up by New York, and you are getting provisions so that you can enjoy blueberry picking and all that kind of stuff and just spending time with your wife and your two kids. But you're getting provisions, and it may be the Walmart. I don't know. And somebody sees you, and I don't know if they recognize you from when you were a singer-songwriter. In those days, you may have had longer hair. I don't know. We'll have to talk about that. But they recognize you and they go, hey, that's Rob Maynard. What is it that you would hope that they were saying about you? Great question. Um, you know, I think it's how I've always viewed my life is the way I was when I interacted with my dad when he was a New York City fireman. And they mm. always said about your dad, your dad's a good guy, he's a great guy, he always does the right thing, he's always got my back. Right. And it always stuck with me. You know, you're in that brotherhood, you have to have people's back and do the right thing. But for me, especially doing so much business and involved with so many different things, you always want to feel that if someone's going to say anything about you, they did the right thing. He was fair. He had my back. He did what was right. Um, uh, he's always acting in good faith. There's a lot that goes on. You know, we talk about even a podcast, you know, it's fun and exciting, and we talk about all the good stuff. No one talks about the bad stuff, right? Nobody wants to hear about the bad stuff. So we, you know, when, when stuff goes wrong, as it does, as it will, how do you handle yourself in those situations? Everybody can be nice when you're being nice. How does it happen when things go sour? How do you handle life? How do you conduct yourself? How do you handle the situation? Um, and look, last year was a great example of it, of how you handled yourself, right? Just generally speaking. So that would be the main thing. I, you know, if, if people said, even on my deathbed or my funeral, whatever you want to call it, I want them to say I did the right thing. That's it. I mean, 
they, they could be all these other fun things I love to say. I love for them to say, I was tall, but they would be lying, right? So um, he, he, that's the best I would be able to do with that. But um, yeah, do the right thing. That's a, that's a big, big thing for me, right? Because you will have situations and issues and stuff. Um, and even in positive things, you always want to do what's right. I tell a lot of people, if you're in the middle of some kind of deal, right? Sometimes you're buying a business or you're buying a property or, you're, or they're going to stay on the business. And I say to him, look, I'm going to talk to you as if you own this, this business because one day you're going to truly understand how this all works. Maybe a first time person that's never sold their business or wants to franchise a business. Once they realize what you knew that you didn't tell them, there's a respect that's lost. So I'm a big fan of that. No matter how it ends, I mean, I just rather people know that you did the right thing. So I guess that would be my answer. That's why you're on this podcast, because we don't have guests that just talk about podium finishes, because that is not life. Right. We want the behind the scenes real, even more than we want the Instagram facade. I'm not interested in the Instagram facade, quite frankly. Um, that's why you're on here. Plus the fact that you're fun. <laughs> so Ben, <laughs> lead us into some of this storied tale because it's interesting and it's worth unpacking. Yeah. So I won't give everybody the, the laundry list of, of Rob's background. We'll get through that to the, in the story. I think I'd take up the entire hour, Rob, but Rob's the, uh, the CEO and founder of Famous Toastery, the co-founder of Abby's Better. He's a real estate developer and investor. And, and like I said, there's there's a laundry list of other things that we'll dive into. But one of the things when we go back towards the start of Famous Toastery, Rob, that I'm, I'm really curious about is you went from doing credit derivatives for JP Morgan up in New York City to founding Famous Toastery, which, which is quite the pivot if you look at it from the outside, but it, right, it's typically less of a pivot when you, once you get into it. So what led to that, that pivot in your life? You know, this goes back to like, you know, where, where, where do people want to be in their life and, and what you think is going to happen doesn't happen. When I was in, I was, I, I started in my, my younger years to have a job and I got lucky enough to work in a hedge fund in the mailroom. And I was young. I didn't know anything. And they actually offered me all these positions to learn the business. And I didn't take up on them because I was you know, trying to pursue a music career. And years and years of, as, I, as I went on, I started to realize, yeah, I learned a lot from being in that hedge fund world, which was a very big hedge fund at the time. Um, and I learned that um, uh, there's a lot of money out there and there's a lot of other things out there besides what I was used to as a kid. You know, my dad was a New York City fireman. Um, my mother was a nurse's aide. Um, you know, grew up by young years in the Bronx. So fast forward, there is a time, and I can only I can only give you the the, the 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 background based upon how I view it, right? It's the time when I learned to respect money. So maybe the tools I was using weren't very respectful, like just taking a bat, swing, and go. We'll see what happens. But it's when I said to myself, you know, I work in I'm now in, in banking, I'm doing well in credit derivatives. Who would have thought? Which helped blow the whole market up in 2008. But I left in 2005 subsequently opened up Famous Toastery. And the story goes with Famous Toastery is it was originally called Toast Cafe. And my partner and good friend, Brian Burchill, came to me in 2005 and said, hey, do you want to want to own a restaurant? And I was like, that's the most insane thing you've ever asked me. Why would I <laughs> he worked in many, so the background on him, he worked in many great restaurants in New York City. 
But at the time I was doing a lot of real estate. I was getting, you know, back then I was doing like real estate flips and buying houses. And, you know, I was just starting to understand how money worked outside of basically, you know, just working for others all the time and, you know, always hoping and wishing. So I'm like, oh, okay, he can make some money. So he comes to me. I'm like, he's a great operator. He knows what he's doing. He says to me, look, just come out. And this is the, this is the way this toast started. Just come out, help me. He knows that I was involved in like just little deals and stuff like that, not at the level I am now, but he's like, I'm going to send you a ticket, an overnight, I mean, a ticket to come uh, for, for an uh, for, for airfare ticket. I'm going to send you a, a, play, a car and a place to stay. That was on, I got there on a Friday. And on Monday, we had a down payment on a building or, 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 or a guy's, a guy's uh, um, um, restaurant. And back then, this was kind of where this is a funny thing to say, because, you know, I wonder how this will come out. It's back when I wanted to understand money and wanted to respect money, but I had no idea. So I'm like, eh, I have a couple of bucks. We'll see how it goes. And it was never meant to be what it was. So it looks, you know, outside looking in, it worked out. But it was, you know, lots of wacky things that happened over the years that, um, that we started to learn. You know, I learned the restaurant business like most people do, the very, very, very hard way. Um, but after you got through your wackiness is when we started to see that it was something very interesting, at least with Famous Toastery. Um, and it still didn't, we didn't start the, the, the growth until 2013. So I was minimally involved, you know, back then, starting in 2005. Um, but look, I never, never got up saying I'd love to own a, a restaurant, right? I, it was never my intention, you know? If you would have told me many years ago, I, I wouldn't live in New York City and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, running restaurant business and doing all these other stuff. That's why you always got to be open. That's why, that's why when people, you know, network and when people talk to people, they should always be open to ideas. I love talking to people because I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a good idea. I didn't think of that, right? Um, which is what it's helped me get involved in so many different things, I guess. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. Hey, so I, I got a question for you about that. So we know a little bit of your singer-songwriter background. I'm assuming that that happened before or while you were at J.P. Morgan. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And if there are any common threads from that singer-songwriter world to derivatives to owning restaurants and commercial real estate. I mean, yeah, the, the, the quick background is that I was, you know, that was my goal, my dream to be a, to be a, be a rock star, right? Um, it's funny how I look back now and I did mourn my loss of not doing it, but I'm also very glad that I didn't get into the business looking back. Um, but the correlations are when you're in that business, especially the music business, you deal with so much rejection and so much luck that I'm, my thing was how do I not have to do, do, do how can i strategize not to be working with luck because luck is luck i don't want to work with luck i want to work with hard work and i know how to get rejected i don't really care what you think so that worked out for me to say okay i'm going to i'm going to start to do some other things and whether i fail at them or not i don't care i'm okay swinging the back because i don't know any better like i don't know what i don't know um but i do know that i couldn't sustain what i was doing the way i was doing it going you know, into my life to be, um, 
you know, a, a struggling musician forever. I had no desire for that. I had a desire to take care of, you know, to, to build something. And we thought it was going to be a, 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 a career in the music business. It was not, but it, it helped me just like, you, you know, people take rejection or things hard a certain way. And I guess was so used to it that it just didn't register, you know, that deal didn't close, that didn't work out. This was a problem. Okay, well, next, or just deal with it or figure it out. Um, the best way to say it is from a young age, I've always embraced the punch in the face. I guess probably my, the thing I could say the most. And I've never, ever um, believed in the highlight reel as we spoke about before. So I knew hard work was always like, I had it in me and I know, and like, if you know how to get rejected, and you know you're in the hardest business you can possibly be to become really successful. Doing some real estate, doing some restaurants can't be that hard. And that was kind of my, that was kind of my, uh, my, my foray into it. Of course, not that simple, not that easy, and learn lots of hard, hard, hard lessons along the way. So you had said that first vision was be a rock star, right? That's where you were going to go. But I want to go even before that. Where did that passion for music come from? Where did that start in your life? I like, you know, music moves people. It's another language everybody understands. So I remember as a young kid going, I was involved in the church and somebody was singing and, it, and you had this feeling, like an inspiring feeling. And, you know, I was young. I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years old or, or whatnot. Couldn't sing. I, was, I had no musical background. And I worked, I worked my butt off to be able to, to be, a, be a good singer, whatever what you would call it. And, you know, you didn't, again, I had no idea how to write songs. I had no idea how to, how to sing. So I learned it all. So I learned something that's kind of a little tougher to learn than reading a book and learning about it. Which then, of course, turns into the things that, you know, that helped me down the road and be passionate about what I do now. But it, it, was, the, it was the drive and the passion. And like, you know, we've talked about before, you know, passion is fantastic. But you can't bank on passion. I mean, you, you can't you can't just do some passion is overrated. It it gets you started, but it doesn't get the job done, in my opinion, right? So, um, if, if your passion is to be a rock star and you're not a rock star, but you're really good at it, but you don't make any you don't make a living and it's tough, that may be good for you. That may be okay for you, right? But it wasn't okay for me, and that's how I that's how kind of things started, and then how I transitioned. So it was really the feeling of being able to move people through the sound of music and through the emotion of music, which is what, which I was addicted to immediately. Which look, a lot of people, they use music, you know, to work out, they use music when they're sad, the music when they're happy, they you know, just go to a, a nightclub, and boom, boom, boom. I mean, music speaks many, many languages. And I liked the communication of, of, of music at the time. Yeah. It, on that, that passion front, um... That's, it's a polarizing thing, right? You get people that all they'll say is follow your passion, and then you get the opposite side. And, and a lot of people that, that are in between. Um, from the way that you're, you're talking about it, right? It's something where, hey, it's good to have a passion, but you can't bank on it. What are you saying as you're talking to other business owners or entrepreneurs, things like that in conversation of how they can either use passion or is it something that they need to be avoiding and just find a common strategic plan and hopefully they'll develop passion over time. How are you, how are you talking to people about that? Well, it's, I mean, look, I'm so glad you asked that because you do have to have the passion. That's the thing. People live off the passion. Passion is not the, the pure food. It's not the water. Passion is the idea. Passion is the motivation. 
But then there's the plan, right? It can be passionate all day, but you gotta have a plan to get there. So I think the passion is what drives you to get up earlier in the morning is what helps you work a little later at night, helps you deal with the what, what's against you, but you also have to have a plan. If you're gonna go and grow a business, what's the plan? Follow the plan. Um, you know, you can't just get up one day and say, oh, I'm gonna go and become a, you know, uh, get a boat and be, become a fisherman. For myself, I've never done that. I've never gone on a boat and fish like that. So that makes no sense. It's the passion that kind of is, is kind of the steering wheel to some extent, right? And then the navigation is your, your plan and your path to get there. Like you can't not be passionate about something, but you gotta know the difference. Yeah. It's just like, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's when people say, well, they wanna make a ton of money. Like, I just wanna make a lot of money. How? What does that mean to you? Everything is personalized. So that's, if you talk about passion, um, you gotta know what you wanna get out of life. You personally, not what, what, what Instagram wants you out of life. Um, that's the question um, and the answer. What do you want out of life? Period. You can't ask your mom, your dad, your spouse, your friend. That's who you are inside. And that's where, that's where things are so interesting, you know, just in life in general, how everybody is different. Everybody is paths are so different. What is it that you want? Do you want to leave a legacy? Do you just want to make a lot of money? Do you want to just be able to drive around a Ferrari? Right? What is your what is your 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 own personal purpose and what you're and I'm trying to be simple about it. What what do you want out of life? Like what is it, you know, um, what's gonna drive you to, to do what you gotta do? Because I knew very early on that working for somebody was not gonna do it for me, even if it meant making a lot more money. So I'm very clear that if I would have stayed in banking and stuff, I would, you could just make a ton of money, but I didn't want to be stuck to a, to a desk. I don't want to be stuck to traveling all the time. I wanted to do, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do it my way. And then I want, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to look in the mirror and say, I either did it or I didn't do it, but I had the control of um, my own destiny, right? Um, even with business, my motto in business is if I can't control it, I don't own it. So I don't invest in the stock market. I don't know what the, what this other guy's doing. My wife worked for Lehman Brothers. She had tons of stock, tons of stock. She got nothing, zero, zilch, nada, whatever other uh, things you can say for that. So you got you to double down on yourself. And you learn that hard lesson, right? You, you know, um, again, going with, 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 with just passion and what you want. I mean, it's got to be there. Um, but people may have a passion for sales. People may have a passion for numbers um, or growing a business. They don't have a passion for the business. That's okay. That's who you are. Like somebody would say, I want to grow a accounting firm. I want to grow it to 50 locations, but I don't want to do the work for, I don't want to do P&Ls. I don't want to do bookkeeping, right? So it's finding who you are, what you're good at and doubling down. You can't be good at everything. I'm very clear. I know what I'm good at and not good at. You talk to my CFO, the last thing I should be doing is P&Ls. The last thing I should be doing is bookkeeping. Um, I'm just clear. I'm just very clear. So, you know, you also got to know who you are and be very clear on stuff like that because people go down all these different roads because I talk to so many different businesses. It's, you know, I think one of the things, unfortunately, is, is social media. I didn't have a social media account until last year. I have LinkedIn and that's it. I always want to avoid the noise, right? Because people believe what they read and they get involved. So I never did it. LinkedIn's great because no one posts dumb stuff and you can communicate with people in business. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in talking to the girl I dated in ninth grade. 
just not interested. So being clear of who you are, even if you're not sure what you want to do, who you are, what is it that's going to make you happy? So I love your perspective on this because you, you hear either side where they get very simple minded of just follow your passion. It's a very easy thing to say, right? You can rah, rah around that. But, but the way that you're talking about it balances the, yes, you need the passion, but you also need the plan. And you've got to know how that fits you as an individual, because we, as we talk on here a lot, everybody's version of success is different. And you need to understand that first. And then the passion and the plan can fit that, which, which I love of your perspective on this. When people say, and this is, and we all hear this, right? Oh, I saw so-and-so or my, 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 my friend so-and-so, they have money. Okay. And I ask everyone, stop. What does that mean to you? Whether it's my dad or whether it's a business partner or a banker or whatever, everyone's, everyone's idea is very, very different because mm-hmm. it goes right back to what I said, what I was saying is that you got to know what you want out of life and who you are. For somebody having $500,000 in the bank is, is, is they've made it. Some people owning their home, they've made it. And that's perfectly where they need to be, right? With social media and, 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 and guys doing videos or the Ferrari in the back and all this kind of stuff, it just, it just makes, it's, it's romance. Just like, just like running a business is, rom- is sexy. Just like uh, being an entrepreneur today is sexy. It wasn't always, and it's not sexy. If it's sexy, you're doing it the wrong way. If you're not dealing with wacky stuff, you're not working hard enough, right? Just my opinion. I mean, I could be completely wrong. I don't, I don't, a lot of people don't share my views on things, right? I mean, even we're talking to you, so check this out. You want to go in an interesting direction. Um, people talk about cash is king. I think, I think cash is terrible. You know, it's, it's the, it's the um, depreciates daily. You shouldn't save it. You put it in a bank. And what does the bank do? They lend it out five or six times, getting five or 6% on the money. You get one or, you know, 0.1% or you get a mutual fund, whatever it may be. And it's the, you know, it's the, it's the inflation, it's the hidden tax. So money's got, money's got to basically put on a suit and tie and go to work for you. You make 25 grand and you save it, you put it in the bank, you'll lose. I'm telling you, you, you lose. People now at a certain level in life, you can't, you don't have access to deals. You don't have access to ideas. And I understand that. But once you start getting a little bit of financial savvy, you start to realize, you know, having money in the bank or tons of money in the bank is a good feeling, but that, that money's got to put a suit and tie on and go to work whether it's through an investment, whether it's through commercial real estate, whether it's through whatever. Um, and that's why you, you, you gotta watch what you engage with, right? Because some people have a very, very, very different thought of, um, of what money should be and what money looks like. We're told many things. I mean, even a house, the house wasn't the American dream. It came up, it's, it's a branding, it's branding, just like your Father's Day, Mother's Day. It's an asset you can lend against that's easy to quantify. Whereas starting a business is a little tougher. So. Most banks talk about the JP Morgans and the Wells and all most of their assets and it's mortgage-backed securities. I mean, it's a great, it's a great thing, but they, they have to take your, your money that you're sitting in the bank for right now. What is it? 0.1? I don't even know. Yeah, right? basically. Yeah. I'm going to lend it for, you know, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5. It depends upon the, I'm sorry, 5%, 4%, 3%, whatever. They're getting a big, that's much greater than you. Are. So as you, 
the thing is you always got to be educating yourself because I never would have understood this back in the day. And that just comes with, with time and, and whatnot. But again, getting to know who you are and getting yourself financially educated because as you do grow in whatever business you're doing or make some money, eventually your time goes out. Eventually you get old and eventually you have to figure out how you're gonna pay for certain things that you can't go and hustle anymore. So that's the way I think now. Um, but I didn't always think that way, right? And some people don't think that's the, you know, my, my mother and father don't think I'm nuts. Like, oh, you should save every penny, right? Um, but that's, a, it's, it's again, what, what you can be passionate and what you can double down on. And most importantly, what you can control. So that, that steers us into, into an interesting piece of your background, which is the actual real estate investing. So like you said, you don't do stocks because you don't know what's going on there but you have this attraction uh, towards the real estate side. So what first attracted you to real estate development, investing, flipping, whatever, whatever you've got you started in that world? Well, it started from out of the music business where I was like, I can't make a dime here. And I was like, I can't, I can't buy Matt in New York city, my own house. Thank God. At the time, you know, just, that's not an, I'm glad I didn't take the, the very little money I had. I, I saved up, this is going back now. I saved up $6,000 to buy my first house and, you know, fixed it up and created some equity, you know, and then back in the day, you had enough of it. So you just not enough equity. So then you refinanced it. And I bought a couple of other places. But what I quickly found out is, wow, my money works for me or I was able to do other things. Now I did walk into the 2008, 2009 market a novice, but thank God because of how my attitude was of do the right thing and, I, I made it through like I figured it all out and I was holding lots of assets at the time. And I just, you know, I figured out how to make that happen. Um, but I realized if you work hard and you, and you, and you can, and you can control the outcome, put in a good tenant or fix it and sell it. You have a lot more control over it. It's a lot more labor intensive. Why do most people don't do, you know, a 10 unit apartment building? Cause it's much harder. If they have a hundred grand, they might have just put it in a mutual fund or ETF and, that's it. They call it a day. That's because they're working. And I understand that because it takes, you got to, you got to dive into it and, and be into it. But I immersed myself into the good, the bad, the ugly. And I can write books on, you know, uh, real estate investing from the beginning when I was, you know, buying single families and then renting single families and then going into four units and then 10 units and the trailer parks and the 25 units, a lot of, you know, a lot of management. There's a lot of detail. Um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. A lot of stuff that happens that's so insane that people don't even believe you when you hear some of the stories, you know. That's what kind of like helped the job too. Like, you know, I'll tell you a very quick story. But my first big building at the time was 21 units and I was so excited and nervous because it was like a real big, I went from, you know, single families, four units and I did this big thing. And uh, I, I was excited because I knew I got a great deal and didn't know what I didn't know. I never had that big of a property. And the first day I bought the building, I get a call and they say, is this Robert Maynard? Did you just buy you know, this building? And I said, I don't know who you are. I said, you could be whoever. I said, none of your business. You know, give me your name and your number. And they were like, well, my name's XYZ from uh, DEA. And here's the corporate number. Give me a call back. They'll patch you in. Turns out I had a very, 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 very bad person living in there. And um, um, they said, look, let me, let me get some keys to some apartments or we're just gonna knock all the doors down. And 
very, very nice. They gave him the key, let him stay for a week and they got this guy out. But the intensity that brings at the time when you're new to this stuff is insanity. You're calling an attorney, you're figuring out what, what is it going to do? Is it going to be on the news? Am I going to lose all the tenants? What's going on in the place? Did I just buy something really bad? I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it kind of, you know, hardens you up to the world of business. Because the thing that people don't understand in business is that it's not a highlight reel. And then it's not the, 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 you know, the Instagram post with, with X, Y, and Z, right? So that really helped me deal with all the crazy stuff that has happened, you know, over the years with anything. Because, you know, again, everybody talks about their growth and how great things are and how this goes and how that goes. I'm bored. I can tell how good you do. I see your PR. I see this. That's good. Tell me what's really going on. That's what excites me because that's how you learn. You learn nothing through success, right? That's, that's what I have learned that when, you, when you, you have success, you start to believe your own stuff. It's when you get your curveballs that you gotta, you gotta figure out how to hit those curveballs. That's, that's why you make it to the majors, right? If you can't hit a curveball or a changeup, you ain't gonna get in the batter's box in the Yankees, right? So you gotta learn how to hit those things. And, and unfortunately, I do believe that the, the makeup of, you know, you go on a Facebook account and you see all these people saying it, as a guy sitting on a Ferrari that he rented from the Ferrari dealership, hey, you can make money doing this and you can do this and you can do that. Those things just drive me absolutely insane. And I feel bad because a lot of people hit that button because they're unclear. But I've been there. Like I, I did the Tony Robbins stuff. I've read tons of books. Some have been good, some have been bad, but I've got something from, from all the things. And for years I didn't. And actually lately I have been getting more and more into that just because you start to see when you create other businesses and other opportunities and have lots of employees, there's, lots, there's just lots of opportunities in general to help people and you can do other deals and meet other folks. Um, so yeah, that's, that's you know, this thing is not what people think it is. And I just wish they would understand that a little bit more. That's one of the things that I wanted to go a little bit deeper on because we did talk about this on the front end of this and even before we hit the record button which was you know we're really not interested in in the podium finishes as much as we are in the behind the scene reel and like some of the stories behind that so you you led us into one of those stories where you buy this big thing and then all of a sudden you got a tenant that uh if it was probably revealed who was in and what all that person had done it could be really bad um Talk to us a little bit more about some of the struggles that you had no idea. So struggle that you had talked about was as a singer songwriter, you're, sh you're sharing a, a flat with three other guys in New York and, and following your passion, but making no money. Talk to us a little bit more about some of the difficulties. Let's, let's go into famous toastery. I mean, owning a business, especially a restaurant, during COVID lockdowns had to have been terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, and just to be clear, the, the, I never wanted to be the guy in the studio apartment with four dudes. I never went that route, but I had a lot of people that they were my inspiration. Gotcha. To not be that, to, to not do that, right? So, um, you know, look, I mean, as myself and many people, even through COVID, right? So one of the, you, you, again, you learn a lot about yourself. And I tell you the one thing that, the one thing that, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss is when this all happened. We, all, we also have a lot of corporate locations. We have a lot of, um, you know, we have a lot of employees. And um, when this all went down and they were doing shutdowns, we were just, you 
didn't know what to do, right? It was, it, you know, there was no encyclopedia. You couldn't Google what to do or figure out what they did last time. So, you know, there's two things that come to mind. The first is when, for, from an employee standpoint, we didn't know how to like support them. Or like, we, you know, we can't pay everybody. I mean, some people we were able to keep on because we just figured it out ourselves, but you couldn't keep on five, 600 people um, when you had no business. So we started a, you know, a program where every week, three days a week, we were making family meals for everybody. They just come, picked up family meals at one of our locations. And that was a way to keep connecting with, with everyone. With the thought, to be honest, that no, I guess I'm going bankrupt and I'm gonna go live in a, in a basement apartment with two kids. That was kind of your, your, you just thought it was all over. I'm like, wait, I'm, this is 2008 all over again. I got real estate, I got you know investments in different types of stuff. It's all gonna be a disaster and then it's game over. So your headspace for a little while was it's over and how can you just help people, right? So one of the things we did was we, we, we were making family meals and it was like, you know, feed six or eight people and we did that three days a week. And the other thing was when we had a franchise system, you know, when you're, when you're in the franchise business, your only income in the franchise business if you're, if you're doing business. So obviously they were, they were down to, you know, 90% down, so there was no business and you've lost all your income. And we sat in the room and said, if we were franchisees, what would we want, right? What, what, what would we, how can our life be made a little easier, right? Understanding balance sheets, all that kind of stuff. And as hard as it was, we said, you know what we need to do? We need to make sure that we don't charge anybody royalties just in an extended period of time. And more importantly, that they don't owe it back. Because at the time, everything was like, oh yeah, we'll defer some rent, we'll defer this, we'll defer that. And what happens is the balance sheets just get bigger and bigger and bigger and you go more and more in debt. And we didn't know at the time there'd be PPP and EIDL and all these other things, but it was not good for us. So from a, going back to your first question about do the right thing, we, we want to be the type of people that do business and humans that are not gonna put your, your just best interest first. Um, and that was hard because it's like, well, how do you pay this? How do you pay that? Obviously, you're, not only are you not going to make money, you're not funding stuff that you weren't expecting to fund. Um, but we did it anyway. And we did that for an extended period of time. And a lot of brands at the time did not do that. They just deferred them. We did not. Our biggest beef was we didn't want to defer what they would owe. And some people were doing okay during it. But when you're paying DoorDash and you're paying all these other folks, you're, you're now just racking up more and more bills and you're surviving rather than anything. So those are tough things to do because then you come into the office, you don't have anybody there. So now you're answering calls about unemployment, um, taking calls about, you know, all, I'm, you're just, you're in an office or in your home or wherever taking calls that you've never taken before with, you know, a, a multiple, a whole bunch of corporate locations, a bunch of franchise locations, and it's on you to figure out and talk about. And with no income and no route to income, but I, I truly believe that you have to do what's right. And, and I think people take record, you know, they realize that. And I, look, we didn't look at it at the time going, oh, we'll just, we'll just get some kudos. It was like, look, dude, this is terrible. And I can't like, in, in, in good conscience charge a royalty when DoorDash is charging them, Uber Eats is charging them, they're hardly making any business, everyone's scared, blah, blah, blah. So. That's tough. You know, those are the things that you start to, um, that's what separates 
you know, the people that want to have a legacy and do the right thing than the people that just want to take your money, right? So, uh, again, lessons yeah. to you know, something that's interesting, you, you said it in passing, and I don't take it lightly because I remember 08 and 09. I remember when Lehman Brothers blew up. I was part of a private equity firm that blew up and 30 million bucks worth of us got wiped out too. So I, I know what that feels like, Rob. You and your wife experienced that. I mean, if she was working for Lehman Brothers and she had, you know, a lot of holdings or, you know, in Lehman stock, vaporized, right? Just like Gone. That. Boom. And, and, no, and no recourse. I mean, and my wife took it really hard because it was, she was there a long time. It wasn't like she was there for three or four years. She was there a long time. Um, I guess the hardest part was they let her go before the bankruptcy and they thought they were doing her a favor, right? So... Then her whole deal, because she got a great package, great deal, stock, all that stuff. And then, of course, the deal goes into the bankruptcy. And to make matters worse, it's just show you where um, you never forget, right? And what, if what, and why you're, you, where you put your trust starts to, you know, um, helps you make decisions. When we finally did get to put a claim in, the claim was for 10 grand. Peanuts compared to what, you know, you would have had. And they denied the claim knowing that you had to go out and probably spend 20 grand to go after them. And they knew most people weren't gonna do it. Now we knew a lot of people that did out of spite. We're like, you know what? I'm gonna spend the 25,000 just to go after them. But that was, um, that was the, um, um, that was the wake up call for me, especially, you know, with the stock market. Look, stock market, Bitcoin, whatever you wanna call it, right? Stuff that I just have no idea, right? You know, I've looked into things like a Bitcoin and whatnot. Um, and you know what? If I don't understand it, maybe I won't be a billionaire. But I'd rather do things that I can understand and control. Um, and that was a good, you know, big lesson. You, 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 you had no control over it. And also, you know, looking back, an incredibly reckless CEO that when you didn't, when you did not agree, you will let go. Whereas I got the opportunity to work directly with Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan. And it wasn't because that was all that special. He just happened to be new to the CDS world. And he would sit on our, our, our desk and say, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. This is going to take the market down one day. And of course it did. Probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met um, just to conceptualize everything. But I saw a stark difference of, of looking at a Jamie Dimon and looking at a Dick Fold at the time and learned a lot. I surround myself with opposites. I don't want me on my team. I'm the crazy guy. I'm the one going forward, trying to figure it out. I need people pulling me back to have some, uh, to, 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 fight, to fight me, to say, look, that's a bad idea. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? You can't be yes, because that's how, again, that's how you get into trouble. You've got to be willing to debate your ideas, right? And that's, that's where people don't. So one other thing on introspection, I mean, it sounds to me like you have done a ton of in introspection. You said that uh, your partner said, you stay away from the accounting, blah, 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 right? Um, cool. And you're okay with that. And what's funny is most business owners that I've come into, uh, you know, real good relationships with, they, most of them, when they kind of release the imposter syndrome they acknowledge yeah i'm i don't know anything about that 
And I'd be one of those guys too. I've run a number of companies and I'm in that same boat, but I understand what I'm good at and what I'm not. I'm curious about how did you arrive and what are, are there any tools or things that you've done other than hard knocks where you understood, oh yeah, I really love doing these things and I really don't love doing these things, you know, places where you thrive, places where you wither. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not a in the weeds guy. I'm not like daily process. Um, I am really good at the big picture and executing on the big picture and the kind of the, um, and putting it all together. Um, whether it's from a sales side, whether it's from a vision side, I've been able to do that. Like I was able to go from zero to owning hundreds of units and at the time lots of single families by just figuring it out. So within that figure out, I knew what I was good at. I didn't like the day-to-day property management because it was, it was I, could, I, I couldn't create value. I couldn't find deals. So if I, can't, if I can't do what I'm good at, if I can't find a deal, find an opportunity, then you're in property, you know, at the time I'm in property management and I'm collecting rent or I'm, or I'm um, um, cleaning up a mess somebody made. So I knew early on that my, I have a knack for finding the deal, financing the deal, finding the right people. Um, and, and then once I get the deal done, a, a, you know, a 21 unit, then I hand it off to a management company to do the day-to-day um, piece. Same thing with, 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 with restaurants. I knew I wanted to grow, didn't know how, but said, you know what, I'm gonna go figure it out. And we went to you know, different types of locations, made some great decisions, had some bad decisions. Um, but, I'm, but I never take on the things that I know I'm not gonna be great at. Like I'm not gonna go and do a 40 page PowerPoint presentation about you know, why the brand is great. That's not what I do. I can tell you why. I don't need a PowerPoint presentation, but if we're going to build one, I'm not the guy to do it. So I'm going to get someone to help me do that. So I don't have the patience. I don't have this, the focus, but I can go out and talk about it, sell it and execute it. Um, but it puts you in a position of where you are, right? So if you're, you're, if you're, um, you're running a, you know, all right, a, a famous toastery and, and or real estate or whatever, you know how to grow it. You also know how to stop it. So we knew at one point that we grew so fast um, then we needed to put the brakes on, right? So we knew that we, we opened up tons of stores that were doing so well that it was like, how can it be this, you know, this easy? And then of course you get that one franchisee that kind of just, you know, does things that you're like, wait a minute, why would you do that? Or, and you always think for anybody who wants to franchise their business that it's not going to happen to you. It will, and it will happen hard and you will learn the lesson some way, shape or form. So be prepared. I thought it wasn't going to happen to me. I talk to people, no, I'll handle this, I'll handle that. Look, not all people are created equal. That's why it's business is hard because eventually you're going to deal with wacky stuff. So we were smart. If there's anything I would say, we were, we were smart early on to hit the pause button and say, you know what? Growth is a bad word right now. Let's let's get more introspective and find ways to make sure that we just keep that we when we go in, in growth mode, that we sign the right folks. Um, but don't try to be good at what you're not good at. I mean, look, there's not enough time in the day. You know, you have kids, you know, even as Ben said, he has kids, young children. What am I going to do? I'm going to go and take a MBA course on accounting. I, don't, I didn't, didn't even go to college. I can care less about the educational side. And most people, if they're younger and listening and their parents are listening, 
Education is not for everybody. It's actually pretty stupid to spend all that money if you're not gonna actually become a doctor or, or accountant or something you can put your finger on. Open a business. If you're gonna, if you're gonna spend all that money and party, put it in the business. Go learn the, 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 the right way. Because what I will tell you is no one showed me how to balance a checkbook. People still don't show you how to balance a checkbook. And most people that teach entrepreneurship at colleges never even owned a business. Um, so I'm not sure where, where I went with that rant, but I do get- Oh, that's, that, that is so good because it's so funny how many business owners that I know that the world would say, whoa, super successful, didn't finish college. Some of them didn't go to college. And that's this imposter syndrome. And we've had a number of them on this show, <laughs> which sure. is really, yeah, it's really funny, but you're, you're speaking some truth and it's not that college is bad and, you know, trades are good. It, it's what, what's right for you, yeah, right back but to what don't I just hit the automatic button. What, what is good? If you're not a good student, I was never a good student. So college never would have been good for me, right? You can't push people to do things they're not good at. You can't do things you're not good at. Now, if you have the passion to want to learn, great. But I have zero. On a scale of one to 10, I have a minus 6 million interest in trying to learn the things I'm not good at. It's just a waste of time. I just don't understand why you would, why you would want to, um, why I would want to put the time. For me, I'll give you a very good idea, right? So I'm not a tall guy. So it would be like me trying to will myself to be 6'10". It's just not going to happen. I can do it all day, right? Now, you can do it in other ways, the way you carry yourself, the way you do business, the way you treat people. That's the way you can be, you know, maybe, maybe you know, find a different path, but. Um, the, it, before people go into debt with, I think, look, I think college is, for a lot of people, it's been the best thing that ever happened to them. I mean, it's, it, they learn a lot. And if you are that guy, it's fantastic. But as we see with college debt and, 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 the, and the thought of X, Y, and Z and how the world has changed so dramatically, you don't need it, right? There's trades out there, there's businesses out there, there's franchises, there's so many things to do. It's a gig economy now. It's not the same as the Rockefellers when you got a job, you stayed there for 30 years and you got a pension, right? So um, it, I, I hope people see that. And there's a lot of people talking about that as you go out there. This, this isn't hard. You go and build wealth and build um, business is not hard. The problem is you got to start, right? You know, I, I, I say this to myself every day and I know I, and I, I say it over and over. Um, a year from now, you would have wished you started today, right? So if there's something I'm trying to do with something new and exciting, I got to start it. But if I don't start it, it's going to be three years later. And then I'm going to go, oh yeah, I should have done X, Y, and Z. So um, execution, if you don't go and execute, you don't go and swing the bat, nothing's going to happen. So you've been talking a lot about doubling down, tripling down on, on your strengths, what the responsibilities in your businesses are, things like that. Want to talk about the evolution of your roles and responsibilities in Famous Toastery as you go from toast to now this franchise model in multiple states and locations all over the place. How has your roles and responsibilities, how has that evolved? Well, it starts to get more and more defined, right? And again, as, as someone that runs a company, you it goes back to some people who run companies are actually really, really good on the um, on the um, kind of the introspective side and numbers, right? For me, 
I know how to grow things. So I focus more and more how to grow things and then how to replace myself and even some of the things I am good at. The good thing is you got to know how to do the job to hire someone to do the job. So you know if they're doing a good job or not and to explain to them and to mentor them how you did it, right? Um, to get the results you want to get. Um, so as we bring on other folks and other other like executive level folks, you, you really know what you want out of them. You know, seven years ago, I had, not, I had no idea what I wanted out of it. And I did not want to have a revolving door. We've had the same people kind of in our executive staff since basically we started, right? I mean, our CFO has been with us since 2008. A lot of the people in the back office have been here since 2010. I've been with the partner since 2005. And we've, you know, um, we, we've had people here from, our COO has been here for years. And we've always made um, hires. We, we, we think a lot about the hires before we make them. We don't just hire. We're not a big fan of hiring before you need it. We like to hire when you need it because we don't like to waste money and waste time because it's time to bring somebody else on and train and to get them into the culture and what you do. Um, but to be able to delegate, but be very, very clear of the job that's going on. When you don't know what exactly is going on, that's when you start to get in trouble. So it's, it's really knowing that you have a pulse on um, what it is people are doing so you can help them and they can help you and you understand their struggles, um, whatever that may be, right? If they're, whether they're in sales and they're doing, you know, they're, they're selling, selling deals, um, which ironically we just started, you know, we turned off franchising for years and we just started the franchise process again, which has been amazing. Um, but I did it. I've done the sales process. I've been through good ones, bad ones. I've been through great situations and bad situations. So I know what to look for. Um, and that's kind of the education you just push on down to whoever. And even if they come from another concept, they know the idea how to do it. But what you think is work, what you think works is really where you want, um, uh, where you want to educate them on your own experience. Because you know, I still love to live in the I don't know. I mean, I, I never know. I, I don't know. I mean, once you think you know it all, you're done. It's game over, right? And you always got to be like, that's why I'm always, I'm fascinated to talk to people. Even when I get reach outs and people are like, hey, I'd love to get together. I'm starting a business. And I listen to their business plan. I listen to their business model. And sometimes I'm like, wow, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard internally. And then sometimes I'm like, wow, that was brilliant. I mean, that is such a great idea. And then I'll find out that they actually did it and executed it. And I'm like, wow, you guys have something pretty amazing here. And I get educated there. And I think that's the thing that I kind of keep pushing down to everyone is just like, you can never know, never learn too much and never, never uh, have it all together because every situation is different and every weird thing that happens is a little bit different. Um, and you just got to be ready to get your hands dirty and keep getting your hands dirty. That's me. I mean, I, I get someone just a problem. There's an issue. There's something that I'm not, I mean, I'm, I will get my hands dirty, um, you know, and, and I mean, just recently I did something like that. One of a house that we've owned for years that we're selling and someone left a lot of, um, left it a mess and no one can clean it. And, and, and I went there and I left um, uh, dog and cat mess. If you want to have your idea of lots of dogs and lots of cats and couldn't get anybody clean it. So I went there myself. I haven't done that in 10 years. It was A, humbling, right? To do that again. And B, it's like, look, you got to be willing to get your hiney in the car and do the job still. Because if you're not, then you're just, you're no different than every other pompous schmuck out there who thinks that they got to a certain point and they're better. Anytime, any day, last year, last year showed a lot of people that 
you think you're all that, you ain't nothing. Because anything can change your life that quickly. Whether it's getting cancer, whether it's you know kid problem, whether it's COVID. I knew a lot of folks that were living the high life and going into like July were bankrupt, right? The Maseratis, the, the Ferraris, the multiple places, because I mean, obviously lived a different life, right? I mean, and I don't, I don't know. When I see someone driving a Ferrari, I don't look at them and go, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, you know, was that a good move or a bad move? Because it's, you know, it's a symbol. When you buy these things, it's a symbol. So was it the right move? Could they afford it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, COVID should teach everyone that anything can happen at any time and you got to stay humble and work and be ready to work, you know, at all times and not be afraid to, uh, don't get your hand, you know, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Mm -hmm. I've got uh, two pages of amazing notes and one-liners that like, there's a book of just like nuggets of great lines that you've <laughs> spouted off in this entire thing, which is really cool. Um, I have even a, a little bit more of a glimpse as to why Gene Kimmel was so excited about you coming on. So uh, thank you. One question, though, that we haven't really talked about with Famous Toastery, and I'd like to use this as like, hey, what, what makes it different? You know, talk to us a little bit about the culture that you guys have instilled here, but also there's a myriad of restaurants well, actually, uh, less than a myriad now after COVID shut down a whole bunch, but you've survived. What makes Famous Toastery different? You know, from, from early on, what Brian Burchill, who I started this with, saw when he came to Charlotte, he worked in New York City with everything's great food there. It's a mecca of just great food. Everything made fresh to order and great service. And when he came to other parts of the country, he just didn't see that. And the one thing I will say, you know, I could talk about a lot of this because this is what we do every day and I, and I love it. But the one thing that we do not ever sacrifice has been our food and our service. And, and what does that mean? People say, oh, fresh food, great service, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're supposed to have good food and good service. But now we've been down to, oh, we have fresh food and blah, blah, blah. What does fresh food mean? Well, I mean, it's not dead, right? I get it. You have quote unquote fresh food. We actually make everything in house every day. We don't bring in canned soup. We don't bring in, we don't have freezers. We actually make everything, our salad dressings. We roast our own turkey. And our service model has always been every server is your server, which is a trademarked um, way of running a, a service, which basically says everybody who's standing in that restaurant works for everybody sitting down. And that's what makes the difference. There's always be restaurants that come and do something more interesting or more, more hip or more cool or more whatever. But we always said, no matter how big we get, no matter what happens, we're not gonna change the fresh food side. Yeah, we can get our, like most of our competitors, and I'll say it now, I can say this. I mean, most of our competitors, almost all get their stuff pre-made. Look, it's execution, right? They're owned by private equity. They don't really have a choice. They gotta push down that extra point. I refuse to push down that extra point so I have a canned soup that I'm selling to somebody. Um, and I think that really makes a difference. It's actually not easy to execute. That makes it harder, right? From a franchisee perspective, you would say, well, why not just get it pre-made? Um, but that's the one thing that we have going back to passion that we're pretty dead, you know, we're hard set on. We want to keep it fresh. It's harder to execute, harder to make. But when we can roast our own turkey, make our own corned beef hash, make, 
make our salad dressings, make our hollandaise sauce every, every hour. That's what makes us who we are. I'm sure that there's people that like other brands better, other brands worse, whatever, but you gotta, it goes back to identity and culture. That's what, we, that's what we're known for, that's what we do, right? We're, we, we're not gonna go and hire a chef to make some crazy stuff. We, we, look, at the end of the day, we sell pancakes, eggs, et cetera. We just do it a little different than others and we make sure that our food is actually made um, that day for that day. And that's, that's the differentiator. And we're not, you know, and that's the, look, that's where uh, a private equity group would go, great, hey, we, we have some, we can see some big pickup here. You just, uh, you package all this stuff, you package your potatoes, et cetera, et cetera. We make our, we get the potatoes, it comes in completely raw, we do it all from scratch. And that's the difference. Um, and that's what we double down on. And some people don't agree with that, right? And that's okay. That's why they get to start their own restaurants. That's why they get to not buy a franchise or to buy a franchise. Um, and most importantly, what I'll tell you, it's what you got to make a decision in life, especially in the social media world. If you give a crap what people think, if you give a crap what people think, then please bow down. But that is not what's going to make this. That's look at whether we like some of these people or not, some of these big companies out there, they didn't care. Whether they're good or bad is a whole different story. But you, you gotta fall, you gotta stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? So you gotta, you gotta be like, hey, this is what we do. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is what it is. And that's what we're that's what we serve, and that's what makes us who we are. A lot of people serve breakfast, it's been going on for years. Is not we're not curing cancer, we're not creating the next uh I don't know, a scientific uh, something. We're there to make great food, great service, period. Don't try to make, you know, when someone and anyone tries to give advice about, oh, well, you got to try this, this, and this, great food, great service. Someone as a customer comes in, they don't care about your technology. They may say they do. We may have calls about technology and AI and all this kind of stuff. People come to a restaurant. It's food, it's, it's connecting with human beings, sitting across from someone, having a great meal served fast, served right, and you leave, right? That's the crux of it. Now we can get into all the other uh, bells and whistles of what you need to make a place successful. Um, and you have hits and you have misses and you gotta earn, you gotta, you, you gotta learn from those misses and, and you gotta uh, um, be okay with them. And that's the thing, you, you, you can't not be okay with them. You can't come on these types of sh shows and podcasts and, and just talk about how you're quote unquote, the three words I don't like to use, killing it, murdering it or tunning it um, <laughs> without having some, some humility in the way business works. If you think you're always going to tun it, crush it, whatever you want to say, whatever, whatever the buzzword is for that reason, you've got another thing coming. And I think that's where the, what I like to say, the calmness that comes from me, which my wife would laugh if I said the word calm. But I would say now, in all the years of all the crazy stuff that I lived through, two, I, you know, I lived through not 11, right? So my dad was a fireman. My wife at the time worked for Lehman. I lived there. My wife watched the plane go into the into the side. We went to tons of funerals. I mean, you really see the, the, the crux from, day, from then till now from business. And I'm more confident in everything I do now and, and, and opportunities than I've ever been. And if something doesn't work, it's okay. Life isn't fair. Um, if life is, if life was fair, certain people would die or certain things wouldn't happen, but it's not. You got to just accept it. It is what it is. And it's hard. But once you get there, you know, that's why I guess that's why I'm not 21 anymore. When I was 21, I didn't think that way. Right. But 
you got to embrace it. I, I'm not going to say embrace the punch in the face, but also embrace the opportunity. It's like anything, you know, you just got to be, you got to, you got to love the process. You got to love the grind. You got to know there's a grind. And if you're not into it, that's okay. You know, not everybody has to be doing a business. I mean, it's, uh, I think that's the pressure to put on themselves, but look, I personally love doing all this stuff. I like the authenticity and I'm not looking to get likes on Facebook. Um, and I think that's what's most important in, 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 to people that if you post something and you're, 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 you just gotta, you, you always gotta do the right thing and try to grow your business. Look, social media works for a lot of people. And maybe one day I'll, maybe I'll do a rant cast or a something, who the hell knows. But right now I'm just focusing on what I'm, you know, what I'm good at and doubling down on it. Yeah. I do have a question for you. Um, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and I didn't live there, but I was in New York in the streets on 9-11. Um, and so it's still a painful memory. Um, and yet I didn't see the plane go in. I was just in the streets with people that were covered with the crap, right? And um, so was your dad in, in the fire uh, department at that on 9-11? He, he got to the um, site. I don't know when he got to the site, maybe um, 11, 12 o'clock that day when he got to the site. Um, I, you know, I don't remember wow. that, that thing specifically. Um, but I, you know, it's funny. I, I, it's the one thing that, you know, when you when people talk about, you know, we went to the, the 9-11 Memorial when it, you know, uh, first opened and we, it was very, very hard to walk through because you saw names, you knew, you remember the day. I remember going on many funerals, um, and the pain and the, it just, it was a lot of, it was pretty bad. And I'll tell you, I mean, this, this slogan to never forget has been forgotten. You know, people don't understand what got us there. Um, and when I hear, I, I, I guess probably why they don't make movies about it because I can't really watch 9-11 stuff. It, it's very, very emotional. Because I remember, I remember vividly going to specific funeral and the, her husband was, you know, one of the guys, my, my dad worked, worked under my dad and had many, a lot of kids and she was young. And I remember the pain and the hurt and the suffering and it didn't stop. But then you went to another one. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is part of like, you know, you know, history and being in New York. And, you know, I don't think that you had to be there to really understand how bad it was. Um, but smelling that for all that time. And I went, I was on site two weeks after it happened. I actually was on site, right? And I had a Polaroid. I remember taking a couple of pictures and um, it's, it was so devastating that it was like, you know, it was angry. To be honest with you, it was, it was, it was very, very, very angry. And for, to ever have an excuse about any of that stuff makes me nuts. But, you know, this, this takes me out of the business conversation. It's really more about, I, you know, I've been down to the 9-11 Memorial many times outside. I still can't go inside. Even my dad had a hard time going through there. Because if you just, out of nowhere, you'll see like a picture of a, you know, fireman. And then you're like, oh, I know that guy. Well, that was my, not me personally, but my dad, you know, knew him and, you know, went through that. And, and I'll leave you with this on that whole thing. My dad, because he was very well respected, you know, in the, um, in, in the fire department, 
he, he was tasked with doing notification at the time, which is basically when you knock on someone's door and say, you know, you passed. And I've never seen my dad, like, you know, you're really emotional and that's, that's tough, right? And it also comes down to like, all right, so now you take the whole, you know, political theater and all the crazy stuff about it. There was some bad stuff that, you know, I don't think we learned from it, unfortunately. Um, but when you, when I think, you know, we talk about business, right? So we're talking about like the business stuff and the 9-11 stuff. And it, it really goes to the core of where I think or thing or comes from my dad in the sense of, you know, what he did for a living. I remember when, pe when people made, you know, I went to a Catholic school, so I was the poorest kid in the Catholic school. And their, kid, their parents were doctors and business owners, and my dad was a fireman. And I was always so proud to say he was a fireman. I was never like, oh, I'm, you know, all oh, my dad's fine. I was like, this guy saves lives, dude. That's pretty awesome. He runs into buildings and people are running out. And the fact that he, again, always did the right thing, and, you know, they were down there for years. And, and look, my dad suffers from that 9-11 stuff, you know, all that bad cancer and stuff like that from down there. Um, and has no regrets from it. Um, but that's what, again, it's about, you know, your upbringing, who you are, who you want to be. I didn't come from business background or come from money or any of that stuff, but I had some core. My dad showed me that you do the right thing and you put yourself first. And you put other people first, not yourself first. Um, that's the way I bring business around. I look at business through the eyes of things like 9-11 um, and COVID and, and extreme issues and how you want to be treated and also the empathy that goes along with it. I've never been known to be just an empathetic person. But when it comes down to the core and you're dealing with stuff and you're dealing with tragedy and you're dealing with people, you've got, the empathy comes out. Um, and I, so what I realize is that it comes out more and more as you deal with folks and as you deal with bad situations. We've had crazy situations in, in you know, even in franchising, but you know, we've never been sued. We've never had major problems because we deal with things head on. We don't run, you know, um, what you avoid, we'll come back to you. You know, when you, what you choose not to deal with, we'll deal with you swifter. Um, so you can't, you know, um, taking the time to, to, to get in front of all things is a, is a uh, it's been like the, it's, it's what I would say is one of the things that has made me successful, but you know, the emotion behind that stuff drives you too, right? So, um, you know, it's funny that you bring up 9-11. I don't really speak about that stuff as much, but it's still even talk about it now. It's so emotional 20 years later. I still remember going down, I was in 23rd Street, watching the buildings drop. And there must have been fighter jets or something. You don't know what's going on. No cell phones back there, no iPhone. There's, you know, nothing. I, I, I know that my wife's not home. I, I don't know anything, right? I know that, that she's not home. And I, me and a bunch of cops just like ducked because she thought we were getting bombed. Like I remember the feeling of thinking we were under attack. And it wasn't, it was actually fighter jets protecting me. But you don't know. You have no, you know, these things are like, you know, 10,000 feet above or 5,000 feet above the, the, you know, the ground. And it's so loud. You can't even, um, can't even think. And you, you don't, you don't forget those feelings. And it also makes you remember that things ain't so bad. So when you are going through something tough, that it's been worse and you've got to have perspective that things could be worse. Not that that's always the best way. You got to also, you know, be where you are in your own world and if you're upset and you're depressed or you're whatever you got to own it but man 
stuff can be bad. And let me tell you, I saw a lot of bad men, right? Um, and we lived there. We smelt it for six, seven, eight months. And we're, we're reminded of it. So it's interesting. Even talking, it actually it gives me perspective having this conversation because I don't realize how I see my lens, um, how I do business, is you do business through your lens, right? So, um, and you do life through your lens. So, uh, so thanks for that question. It's actually an interesting question. Yeah. I picked up this the next day from you, a street vendor. You know what I just did? I, my dad, I, I'm, I'm having his, um, his jacket framed. So he had jacket and boots and I told him to keep the boots and he forgot and threw the boots out. So I'll have his jacket and his hat and all that kind of stuff. I'm having them framed in, you know, so they, I can keep them for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's like the only possession I like that I really care about. I'm like, you know, I, I want your helmet. I want this. I want that. I want that. And that's it. So anyway, you know, interesting. The cool thing is, is that that kind of brings home. Now I understand a little bit more where you came from on the front end of this thing on, you know, you want to be known for doing the right thing mm -hmm. and having a dad in the New York fire department. Um, I mean, I still, I can still smell, uh, cause I went down there the next day as far as you could go smell like mesquite, you know, I remember it. And so I'm getting choked up thinking about it too, but, um, you are a gift, uh, Rob. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to get to hear your story, even more of your story, your perspective, which I really appreciate. Um, and again, I have a better understanding on why Gene was so excited. And I'm so glad that we got to talk to you a little bit more as we were celebrating little over two years ago <laughs> you coming over so with balloon popping so yeah I, no, that's great I, 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 uh, I do look forward to popping a balloon uh, <laughs> and sometime and, and on a side note it's been great with you guys and it's been it's been an absolute um uh treasure working with you guys because we've had some interesting um you know folks in the past and you know it's been actually um and we've always loved gene and then we got very lucky to have all you guys as well. Um, so it's it, you, again about you know you don't you don't think about it on a daily basis or take things for granted, but we appreciate that. We appreciate the relationship because it's it makes one's life easier, but also it's a trust factor that you you can trust the people you're doing stuff with and, and, and the people you're doing business with because they say business it ain't you know it's not personal it's business. I think that's a bunch of you know bleep right. Um, it's all the same. It's impersonal the same. You, know, you can't treat somebody in business poorly or treat them better because they're, you know, it's a personal relationship. Um, and we and, and life is about relationships and people need people. And it's always nice to have partners that you truly respect and like to do business with. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Rob. We'll uh, we'll put links towards your LinkedIn. Uh, towards uh, Famous Toastery so they can check those things out. Is there anywhere else that you want to be sending them or are those two good spots? Well, those are good. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I just do LinkedIn, but the um, we'll have our social person put it out. Right, for the other stuff. That... For other stuff. Once once you get it, I'll send this. I'll send whatever you, you guys send to her and have her put it up on the Famous 
you know, toastery LinkedIn stuff and, and you know. Um, yeah, sounds good. And, and, and you know, where, where we're Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. It was really good to talk to you guys. It was a, a very cool, uh, very cool podcast. Yeah, this is really fun. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you. Thanks for being a ripple maker out there in a positive way. You are definitely doing that. So uh, next time uh, you do talk to your your folks and your dad in particular, my mom was a nurse too, um, but um, uh, please give him our, our thanks. We ain't ever forgetting, forgetting that. <laughs>